There are times that we simply must be critical. But if we can first calculate, exercise caution, develop a state of calm, and be overall covered conscious, our criticism is far more likely to be effective. We'll get back to what covered conscious is in hopefully a moment. This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks. Growth-oriented, Parsha-related Torah podcasts. We're about to start the Book of Devarim, the first Parsha of Devarim. Before doing that, a quick call out. Thank you to quite a few who have been sharing feedback related to uh, past podcasts, this past week or two, two uh, particularly. And anytime, coaching at gmail. Send me your comments, criticisms, concerns, suggestions, and I do try to respond typically within the day. On to the book of Devarim, the Parsha of Devarim opens the first verse of Devarim with Moshe challenging the children of Israel, Moshe criticizing the children of Israel, but a very calculated time and mode of criticism. These are the words that Moshe spoke to the children of Israel, and the Torah lists off a variety of locations. Rashi, noting that these are not changes of location, he's not moving place to place, and these are not all collectively in one spot. Rather, Rashi tells us, these are divrei tochachos. These were words of rebuke to Israel. Umanakan kolamakomos. He counted out all of the places where we caused some distress, God forbid, angered God. He referred to locations, he referred to names that reflect on elements that can describe the failure rather than speaking out directly, articulating the name of the failure. He hinted, he masked the words. These Kiram Baremes did so only through hint. Why? Out of the honor of his audience, out of the honor of Israel, the honor of ourselves. Moshe felt it necessary to give some type of reproach. There was clearly something to be gained and learned by being able to be attentive to where we had messed up in the past to learn what to steer clear from in the future. But he minimized how direct he would address any of these uh, failures. And interestingly, he stalled this to the end of his life. This is really the last, this whole last book are the final speeches of Moshe in the last weeks of his life last locations as we are about to finish our stay in the desert. He's about to finish his stay on planet Earth. And at that juncture, he gives that tochacha, gives that rebuke. And Rashi points to a parallel. Yaakov, Jacob, when he gives rebuke to his son Ruvain, Rashi on the third verse of our parsha makes reference to the fact that Yaakov said to Ruvain, this is Jacob talking to his son Ruvain, his firstborn Ruvain, who although he messed up, lives on to be one of the heads of one of the tribes of Israel, one of the great spiritual foundations of the Jewish people. He says to Ruvain, I'll tell you, why is it that I did not rebuke you until this point? Now, at the end of his life, he is giving Ruvain a somewhat veiled rebuke, but he says, I didn't give you rebuke yet, so that you would not abandon me, and go, abandon Yaakov and go where? The and cling, to my brother Esav. 
What? Yaakov is afraid that Ruvain would have switched teams? I mean, this is not simply of, yeah, Uncle Esau. This is Uncle Esau who wants to kill Father Yaakov. This is Uncle Esau who represents everything antithetical to all of the education that Yaakov has provided to Ruvain. Everything about the family of of Yaakov and his 12 sons is opposed by Esav. Yaakov is telling Ruvain that I did not rebuke you earlier, lest you shift tracks and go not down this slightly parallel road, but to this collision course with Israel. Apparently, yes. Apparently, criticism is painful. Criticism is jarring. And if the recipient can't handle it, if it's not given in the right dose, at the right time, right place, right terminology, it's a shock to the system and can throw the recipient of the, uh, of the criticism for such a loop that you don't know where they're going to land. And I was afraid you would land on the other side of the equation over here. Criticism, perhaps we could describe as surgery. Surgery can sometimes be very, very important. It may be the only choice, but we don't necessarily uh, randomly grab the patient and operate. We want to prep them. We want to determine, is this a good time? Years back, I had to have a, uh, a GI surgery. The doctor had to wait till the infection that triggered the issues that had to be contended with had definitely been calmed and relaxed. And you know, to schedule things at a time, okay, how can we work it out? You'll know we have a family member that can be there to uh, be grouped together with you, can advocate for you. And in advance, what should you be eating? What should you be not be eating? How to get yourself even into a good a mental frame of mind. There's a lot of prep before we, we cut into the body because it's rather shocking to the system. And we want to know that we have in place some type of support follow-up. Okay, what do you need to know following? What behaviors are good, not good, food, good, not good, activities, etc. We want to know that we have properly prepped, properly uh, engaged, and then properly followed suit. So criticism as well. You have to understand it's shocking to the system. It's painful. People don't like hearing what I need to be telling them. And again, we're talking in such context that I really do need to be telling them. They're still not going to like hearing it. Can I create some type of a structure to be able to calculate how, when, make this criticism be as comfortable for the recipient That can still be effective, of course. I can't take the surgery and say, we're just not going to bother cutting into the body. But hey, is there room for laparoscopic instead of invasive? Is there room for trying to take care of this all in one shot rather than multiple cuts or maybe even the opposite if that's ultimately in the body's best interest? Can we do the same with our criticism to be able to be least damaging to the recipient? The the hazards of criticism, the damage of criticism. And again, we see over here by Ruvain, Ruvain, is somebody that took the message to heart. And before the criticism, we know that he was doing teshuva. He was repenting. Our sages consider him one of the primary examples of somebody who took the idea of repentance to heart. Sackcloth and, and modes of teshuva. Yet, Yaakov had to be worried that an extra word from me in the wrong timing, a little bit too harsh, could be damaging. Even when he does criticize him, he does not reference the exact failure, but rather the Pachas Kamayim, the impetuous nature that led him to that. Recognizing that on one end, 
the words of criticism can be damaging. And on the other end, the recipient of the criticism is one that, as Rashi tells us, I have to respect. Moshe was cautious, not only because of an issue of effectiveness, but out of kvodan shal Yisrael, out of the honor of Yisrael. If I honor the party that I am addressing, I'm conscious of their kavod. I'm conscious of the fact that this is somebody whom I must have regard. This is another member of my society. They're another person created in the image of God. They're another human being that God loves. They're another human being that God doesn't want to suffer any more than they need to suffer to get to the better place. So if I'm their doctor, I'm going to be particularly cautious about making sure, hey, yeah, let's try to see if we can actually have an anesthesiologist in the OR while we're doing the surgery. Let's see that we have proper pain meds in a hospital for follow-up. Well, if I'm a doctor of their spirituality, because I'm one who has been deemed necessary to give that criticism, there's something that I do need to put into check for their best interest. But can I have that sense of, I have that kavod for them, I have that respect for who and what they are to see to it that I try to minimize any pain, any damage. The mitzvah of rebuking, there are times that we must, and it's not something that we have a right to just evade. But that very parsha that talks about rebuke back in Leviticus tells us, rebuke your peer or your, your brother, and do not bear iniquity. Try to do that rebuke in a way that you don't end up guilty for having done something wrong in the process of that rebuke. The story is told that the Chavetz uh, Chaim was once approached by a Maggid. A Maggid is somebody who roam around Europe, typically, well, in those days, Europe, and be sharing words with the community, inspiring, motivating, at times lashing out, um, basically kind of the job of your rabbi, but a rabbi that would be mobile and go community to community, generally people who had a very uh, you know, powerful oratory skill, as well as hopefully the knowledge base of the texts to draw from, and be able to react to the different situations, the needs of different communities by giving them appropriate uh, you know, Torah messages. And there was a Maggid who described that I was giving a message of rebuke to a community, and this was described why it was totally necessary based on something happening in that community. This was a message they needed to hear, and I was almost lynched. He described the crowd's reaction to his rebuke was not the one he was trying to invoke. And the Chavaz Chaim said, let me, let me hear a little bit about how you rebuke them. And he described what basically was a fire and brimstone system. And he said, I screamed and I yelled. And Chavetz Chaim said, why? And he said, I have, a, I have a mitzvah. I have a requirement to rebuke them. And I screamed and yelled to fulfill my mitzvah of rebuke. And Chavetz Chaim asked him, you put on tefillin this morning? Of course. Did you scream and yell when you put on tefillin? That's also a mitzvah. Yes, you have a mitzvah of rebuking. But screaming and yelling only fits rebuking if that makes the rebuking effective. There's no requirement that every mitzvah has to have one scream and yell if that doesn't make that mitzvah effective. So some mitzvahs are loud. Blowing shofar is meant to be loud. Other mitzvahs are more silent. And rebuke is somewhere in between. An audience has to hear it, but they have to be able to absorb it. And you have to be able to share it in a way that the listener gets it and accepts it. And sometimes fire and brimstone is not the way to make it happen. The quick aside, by the way, sometimes a person's in the moment of about to do something that is seriously wrong, seriously dangerous, 
whether physically, emotionally, spiritually, different story over there. Sometimes you need to scream, don't fall in the pool. But we're talking about after the fact, to what degree do I draw attention to somebody's failure? And I have to start with that consciousness of kavod for the other party, calculate, A, should I be rebuking? And if the answer is yes, how and when should I be rebuking? An interesting add-on in this original point we talked about, Moshe, and the covet of Israel in a work that's just trying to turn over here, actually find, but I'm not seeing the exact source, <coughs> excuse me, but in a work that is um, attributed to a, a contemporary work, the quotes over from here it is, quoting a of Yosef Leiv Nandik. I may be pronouncing that wrong. Nandik, Nandik. I don't know who this is, but he's quoted over in a work called Shulchan Gavalha. He describes an element of the Kavod of Israel in a fascinating way that I would elaborate as follows. Moshe keeps it limited. He keeps the criticism subtle. When does that work? When can my criticism be effective, even if it's rather subtle, just a little illusion, maybe even a facial gesture of, huh? Has the person realized, oh, doing something wrong or did something wrong? When does that work? Only if the rebukee, is there such a word? The person getting the rebuke is attentive to the issue. And if he or she are attentive to the wrong involved in this issue, the magnitude of the issue, when does it not work? Elaborating is necessary if this party hardly gets it. They really don't understand what they're doing wrong or they don't understand why it's such a big deal. And therefore, elaborating implies that I think you don't get it. If when I rebuke, I, I repeat it multiple times, when I rebuke, I become very expressive and elaborate and I'm using every possible reference that indicates I don't believe you understand on your own or that you could quickly understand with my giving a little dose of help just what happened over here and how big a deal it is. Or it can indicate that I'm so caught up in what this means to me and how bad I feel about what you did wrong that I'm not doing this for you. If I'm doing this for you, then I should be limiting it to what is necessary for you to correct the situation. And as such, Moshe, in his genius, of course, is able to simply elude and in so doing shows his regard for the children of Israel. I know that you get it. I know that even though you're many years distant from many of these issues, you fully appreciate, you're in such a spiritual caliber that you fully appreciate the severity of each of these failings. You are fully attentive to and appreciative of the relationship with God that can be had when we're in a pristine state, that you are fully frustrated by any drop in that relationship with God. And therefore, I can be rather subtle. If unfortunately, sometimes we do the opposite, that has our listener feel, what, he thinks I'm a dunce? Right? She thinks I just have no clue. And at the same time, has them start to feel, all right, what are they all worked up about? Is this me or them? So pulling it all together, there are times criticism is necessary. When it is, let's calculate. A, let's calculate to make sure it really is necessary and criticism is really the only vehicle by which to correct the situation. But where it is, let's recalculate. Having that person in mind, I'm conscious of their kavod, I'm conscious of who they are, 
I'm conscious of what really did happen here and not the hurt I feel over it. That can help me feel calm as I then, with the calculation, address with that proper caution as my steering guide the criticism that will actually effectively help correct the wrong and steer everybody back on the right path. In so doing, we can have those that we find necessary to rebuke help get to where they need to be without creating distance between them and ourselves. We're in this week leading up to Tisha B'Av, big focus on doing everything necessary to avoid distance between people and reconnect in positive ways. But sometimes we need to do that even with words of correction, but they can be words that help generate a sense of, hey, he or she really care about me. They appreciate me. I, I appreciate how they package that criticism, how they put it together in a way that is fully respectful of who I am, and then I can maintain respect and care for them as well. And if we can do that, we can hopefully correct the failures that we all suffer from. And we kind of the criticisms that we should view in terms of how do we get ourselves back to a place that we don't need another of. we can become the type of people who are covered conscious, aware of the, resp- the needs of the other, criticism properly measured, doled out in a way that has neither of us deserving any less covered and only has both of us heading in the direction of each and together achieving our tasks.